Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. Today, our guest is Dr. Don Levan, and we're going to be talking about design. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I think we've had you on here a couple of times, and I, I wanted to get like an update and, and a kind of a refresh because it's a really important topic. Great. So to, to start with, uh, you've got two design studios coming up. They're three-day workshops. Uh, one's going to be in Oakland, California, March 5th to 7th, and one in Seattle, Washington, April 16th to 18th. I'm thinking about going to that one because it's only a short train ride away. Good. Tell me about, uh, about those. What are you going to be uh, doing? So the design studio is a three-day experiential, completely hands-on workshop to teach people that come a formal process of design. And this is a process that helps you sort of step back and really understand what are the goals of the people that are going to use your solution, what are their needs, and then how do you get from an understanding of what they need the solution to do to designing something that really solves their needs and accounts for the needs of everybody who has to interact with it or has some part of the problem space. Um, I've been doing this now for, I guess, three or four years. I've done six or seven of them. We've had 10 staff of FileMaker attend. And everybody who's come is just gives me rave reviews. So I'm excited. It's, it's fun doing it. I love getting out there. It's a great three days. We spend our whole time drawing with Sharpies and putting stickies up on the wall and uh, redesigning restaurants and redesigning FileMaker apps, and it's a lot of fun. And not only do you get great reviews, but like the ones you post on the website are from people like Richard Carlton, Adam Aronson, Jesse Barnum. I mean, really high-end, great people in the FileMaker community. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really nice. We've had I've had great support from some of the best people. Uh, we've had people come from Europe. I'm here. Some people may come from Japan this time. Uh, it's. Uh, it's good stuff, and and it makes me happy because I think it's just incredibly important information that um, everybody in the community needs to know. So it was especially interesting to me because uh, most of the work that I do is really sort of maintaining and building existing products, but I've got a couple of projects right now that are kind of from scratch. Actually, one of them. Uh, don't laugh. It's a FileMaker 3 to 12 conversion. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you don't really convert 3 to 12 because so much stuff breaks. Actually, we have a functional version. After not very long, we got everything basically working in the converted file, but it's 62 files. So what we're really doing, what the contract is, is to rebuild it, consolidate, create a new file, um, bring in all the tables, recreate the whole interface, salvage from the scripts, whatever you can use. But really what I wanted to do is I wanted to use a formal design process. And that made me really want to talk to you um, to make, you know, just to sort of compare notes on it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm not trying to sell your design studio, but I'm thinking about going to it myself. So <laughs> um, just to sort of maybe talk about what you're going to do there and, and what parts of it are what parts of it, if you want to take this sort of casually, you can come away from? And then if you really want to go into it more deeply, what you might want to spend a, three, a few days really studying. Okay. Um, well, tell me about your project. Let's start there. Well, it's a, it's a project for the Oregon Surplus Division. So it's a huge warehouse that has essentially kind of an inventory database. They get inventory from all over the state. Um, and... Everything. I mean, everything from airplanes to cars to bicycles to office chairs and cabinets and music instruments and really weird stuff. They actually have a drone airplane aircraft that, like, some agency is going to use to look at, check agricultural. You know, they're going to send out this aircraft and take pictures of people's fields to make sure that they're grazing animals on their land and not somebody else's land. I'm not sure how they're going to use it. Anyway. So is this inventory that they're getting to sell? Are they like a local version of overstock.com or is this like they're warehousing to keep track of for some government agency and then having to be able to get it as soon as somebody needs it? Well, they get it donated from agencies that have it in surplus. So if like a forestry division um, gets some equipment and they get 
and for whatever reason they have too many of that thing, hmm. then they'll they'll essentially donate it to this agency. And then this agency will find some other agency that that has that needs it. And it's not entirely governmental. They they actually um all the all the equipment comes from government agencies, all this gear, but the outlets for it are any school or organization that qualifies to be able to bid on and buy the equipment. And then when they get money, then they can send, they send it back to the original agency. So there's a whole accounting loop. Um, wow. Sounds cool. I have this image in my head as soon as you said it of the, uh, the Ark from Raiders of the Lost Ark being put up on a shelf in this place and being cataloged to resell at some point. Yeah, actually. I think I saw that when I was there. <laughs> um, it's yeah they have crazy stuff I walk by and they have these huge huge engines for like generators like a tractor size engine just sitting there on a crate waiting for someone to buy it <laughs> and and so you're the, the database that you're having to take from 3 to 12 is doing what? It's doing the inventory it's doing the what's available for sale it's doing the what has sold and has to Who's it come yeah. from and tracking all the money back and forth? Track the agencies, track the qualifications of people who want to become members, track um, inventory coming in, going out, being transferred, having a price adjustment. They also sell a ton of stuff on eBay to the public, and it's a warehouse that anyone from the public can walk in and shop or walk around and look for stuff, and everything has a price tag on it. God, I would love to visit that place. It sounds so cool. It actually is kind of cool. It's uh, like an idea store. So, so tell me – what has been your process to date and, and where you said you were thinking about the, the process that, that I've been teaching? What are you doing now and what's working and what's not working? Well, if I didn't – before you and I talked, if I had never encountered you in my life, um, what I left to my own devices, what I would have done is I would have the very first minute launched FileMaker and – started by creating some layouts and sat with the clients, gone to each of the users and built a screen in FileMaker to sort of recreate what I thought their job would be and then tailor it and direct it to what their job is with them watching. Hmm. And I think the, the thing the, the thing that's broken with that, that you helped me understand is that there's too much of me inserted into that. There's too much of my ideas of what, I think their job might be and not enough of what their job really is and what the flow really should be. And then there's going to be some things set, even though they're really easy to change, just because they're there on the layout, you're not going to change them. And you also might not really end up with the right uh, path. So what we're doing instead is we went around and interviewed everyone and spent half an hour or so with each user. And we're going to do a few rounds of these and wrote down on his four by six card, um, every, like for each task that they do, describing that task. So that at the end of the day, we have a stack of four by six cards for all the users of when I want to look something up, this is what I do. When I want to qualify an agency, this is what I do. When I want to transfer inventory, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then also have a card for like each user and also have a card for each, um, uh, term. Cause they have terms that are kind of weird, like donee and donor. Because they don't really call them like client. They have, you know, and so some of those things are different. And there's actually some processes and some terms that they use that not everyone in the building even knows because they're kind of specific to just two or three people. Nice. And so just to try to get all that stuff clear, we're we're, we're going through and putting all this together in a visual way. And we're going to clean all that stuff up and actually put all of this on the conference room wall as well as an idealized graph. Um uh, ERD of the solution so that people can kind of watch it happen. And we have uh, the project's got six months or five months to to get from here to completion. Cool. Well, that sounds, I mean, you know, the thing is, is that sounds like the way I would start. I mean, I um, would do, you're, you're doing interviews, you're doing research, you're doing uh, some ethnographic research, uh, you're probably doing some observation. Uh, yes, I, watching I, them use their existing database, definitely. I, I love the idea of writing it on four by six cards. I tend to use, I take a lot of notes. I do a lot of um, screen sharing where um, I will connect a go to meeting session and I'll record their screen as they're pointing to stuff on it, telling me what they're doing. The thing that mm. I, 
you want to make it them with a microphone so you can with a microphone so I can generally I'm sitting next to them so I'm recording it um, but the thing that I didn't hear you say that is probably one of the important things to watch out for is that you want to you want to get the tasks that they're doing now but part of the reason for that is you want to figure out what are the scenarios they're facing and what are their goals in each scenario so that when you go to create the requirements list, the requirements basically should be answering the question, what must any really effective solution do to meet the needs of this or these specific people in this specific situation? Right. That is what I'm trying to get at with a task. It really, yeah. I think I, I use maybe the wrong term, but but the goal is really better. But I, we'll try to focus on that more because we this is, this is a perfect time to be talking about it. Um, but it sounds, I mean, like, yeah, I... I it's such a powerful technique, isn't it, right? Where you put everything up on, I call it a sketchboard, where you've got this giant piece of paper up on the wall and you're creating um, what is called an affinity map, where you start out just putting everything in just, in just random order and then looking to see what hangs together, what groups together. You know, and that might tell you what functional area you need to create or explore more of what, what module or what feature... Um, what data model like it's your and and then you take that to the client and you walk it through the, with them and see if they can recognize their world exactly i, I love that you're doing this yeah. it's uh makes me really happy <laughs> well it's really fun i mean i, I give you all the credit too because in all the and so many of the other projects i've done i haven't really had the opportunity i haven't felt like i've had the opportunity to really do this in a more formal way but this one was such a complete reboot it was such a perfect opportunity for it that um and the time and the people the people are amazing they're really awesome to work with um well you know and they're, and they're really liking it too and it's interesting when you engage your 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 the people who are going to use your solution in this process they get excited you get much greater buy-in you get to see up front who's going to be the the person who's anxious about change and trying to sabotage it and work through that issue with them you get to see you know you get them excited and they get the feedback loop is so much shorter because you haven't built anything yet but you're bringing them information back and so you get to see right away where your errors are and when your fallacies are because right. you know yeah they tried to actually replace filemaker with a uh uh web-based system it's funny IT people still think think that FileMaker is not relevant anymore or not really growing anymore, so they replaced it with a Adobe Flex web-based system that connects to a SQL database. Oh, I've heard this story. How did it work out? It they it it died. <laughs> is that the is that the story you heard it, too? It, it died after a lot of grief and money and time. Yes. And then they came back and said, "Help us!" And then they go, "You know, this FileMaker <laughs> thing actually works. I wonder if I wonder if it actually really is still out there." So one IT guy, <clears throat> bless his little heart, found the FileMaker developer group, came to a meeting, saw that with the other twenty, thirty people in the room, that FileMaker was actually a living, breathing thing. Um, put out a bid, uh, and you know, tried to get information on how do we do this well. And then the FileMaker server, 3 server died, so it started to really just not work at all. <laughs> so we like emergency mode, uh, converted it to 12, and then went through all the scripts and fixed all the little things that break when you convert, when you cross the 7 barrier. Yeah. Commit record, all the select window, um, the record locking issues, all the little tiny things that, that break there. And then actually some things that just work totally differently. Uh, for example... If in FileMaker 3, apparently, if you go to find mode and you put in space equal equals space and then perform a find, that doesn't work the same in 3 as it does in <laughs> after, after 7. Um, God, yeah, I would imagine not. You never actually get records if you do that in, <laughs> in, in uh, 12. It finds nothing ever. Because it's have saying such, like exactly equals to space or something. I have such empathy for you. You were using had sixty some odd files. You couldn't even use metadata magic because you couldn't. You'd have to get it into six first to use metadata magic, and probably going from three to six caused problems. No, I could have used metadata magic, and I really should have. And if and because there's a there's a very um, huge redundancy of. Uh, 
file references, references yeah. in each file. But since I knew that this file wasn't going to have any active development done in it, it was just going to basically convert and and sit and limp along. Yeah, it's their current master database. But and they we're had not to doing any from three because they had an operating system that they only had one of and one computer. And if that computer died, they were screwed. Well, actually, they're running on Windows XP and they're all trying to upgrade to Windows Seven. Huh. But something, I think actually something changed in a recent service pack or update of Windows XP that it no longer runs FileMaker 3 reliably. At least that's what I saw there. It crashed all the time. But the database is, is, didn't, none of the files actually had any kind of corruption. Um, and the FileMaker server was running okay. It was running on like server 2003 or something like that. Cool. So tell me, so where, do you, where did you go from there? So you've got, you've got this big, Sketchboard on the wall with all of the goals and roles and scenarios and, and we don't tasks. Even have that. We're not don't have a wall yet. We have four by six cards that we're we have four by six cards. Okay, we're so rewriting you, to make them. Where, where are you going next? Well, um, and we actually put uh, we have a, a contract um, milestone that says design <laughs> with a certain amount of money at the beginning of the process, um, and that's where we are right now. That's the one that's the cur- current active one, and. Um, so the next thing I want to really do is sort of present what we think the design should be. And that's going to be in the main conference room to put this, take up, take over a whole wall, put all these cards up there um, for all the different tasks and goals of each function, each person. And there's one user who's totally the primary user who does most of the data entry, um, about 10 total users. So at this point, it's all, you're, you're modeling, right? You're, you're, yes. When you say... You know what the design should be. You're you're showing them how you've modeled their world, that you've understood what they've said, looking for your holes and making sure that your assumptions are correct. Exactly. We haven't started doing anything yet in FileMaker 12 except copying and pasting the tables from the old system to one, and then connecting them in a native way so that you can, in a single place, see the entire ERD. Oh, good. Which I guess I could do in, in a separate thing. And of the 62 tables, I would bet you that 20 of them are not in use. Probably not. Yeah. And some of them are like the back solution and, this, and you know, uh, they weren't really ever large files. They were sort of just things you had to do in FileMaker 3 to make your solution work. Well, it sounds like you're, you're going down all the right roads so far. I'm, I'm excited to hear how this is going. Well, we'll keep comparing notes on it. So let's step back a little bit. Um, so I, I've... I've done some things, I think, based on what you and I have talked about. What other things do you think FileMakers can do differently with respect to design, both on really large projects like this one and also just like regular everyday maintenance, um, to, to get better results? So that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think, by and large, that one of the huge problems facing FileMaker developers is the fact that it is so incredibly easy. The power that we have to create stuff quickly and easy, easily in some ways um, causes a lot of problems, you know, uh, in, in that every FileMaker database that I've inherited has so much stuff accreted and so many things happening in each different interface that it becomes hard to tell what's going on and what's you know, what do you do here and what's the primary action? What's the secondary action? And so there's a lot of um, knowledge happening on on the web and in uh, um, mobile design that really is all about clarifying in each interface, in each uh, part of the application, what is the user going to do here? What is their goal? What is the scenario they're facing? And one of the things that, that I've been profoundly impacted by was uh, a book called Mobile First by Luke Robluski. I, I never pronounce his name right, but just call him Luke W. Uh, and he has a couple books out, one called um, – one on forms, one, on, one called Mobile First. But Mobile First basically says that when you design for mobile, um, the screens are so small and form factors are so small, you have to be very, very choosy about what happens in each interface. Mm-hmm. And so it really provides a very strong constraints for you, a constraint being you know, a limitation on what you can do. And so I, I have been 
more so now than ever, really focusing on every screen that I build, every interface that I build, every section, you know, asking the questions, who are the users that are going to be using this? What are the scenarios that are going to be facing? And, and what's extraneous that can be cut out or put into uh, an external on-demand interface, a progressive disclosure kind of thing. So would you say that even if you're not building for mobile, that using some of those principles are still applicable? A- absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the best interfaces um, allow the intermediate user to function really efficiently. There are some basic, very key principles that, you know, each interface should do, you know, a handful of things really well, that the primary actions there are clear, that you, that the interface is monotonous. You can do only one, you know, do each action in one place. And you look at the, the really top bar professional apps, you know, you look at the whole suite of, you know, don't say Microsoft. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, you look at you look at Mac Mail, and you look at um, you know uh, some of the the really nice Twitter clients, and even look at Facebook. You know, I mean, look at look at what's going on now. Each of those those interfaces are designed where you can do each function in one place, and you only do a handful of things there. And if you have to do settings or configurations or other stuff, it's it's out of you know, is a respect that the things that you need to do, your attention is limited. Mm-hmm. And the things you want to put right in the place where the user is going to see them, the things that are most important to the task that they need to satisfy the goal that they're working on. And everything else should be somewhere else. And so, um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that, that FileMaker developers can do for themselves is ask every time they design something, what is this interface doing now? Whose needs is it meeting? What scenarios are they, are they in when they're interacting with this interface? How many different scenarios are being, you know, are, are being attended to here? Mm-hmm. And is this the right place to put this functionality? Or you know, should we um, put it somewhere else? You know, and and you, you want to be careful and not make things too simple because then they have to go to too many places. So there's this really fine tension between, you know, simplicity and complicated. Right. Where you, I've seen, yeah, some of my clients I've seen build screens that have like no white space and everyone there has a 20, you know, four inch monitor. So they build it a FileMaker screen that uses every inch of a 24 inch display and has every single related field and portal and bit of data so that yes. you never have to go to outside the screen. Exactly. But, but you can also never – and the developer who wrote it can find everything, <laughs> but nobody else can. Oh, okay. So now you bring up a really good point. Um, I, I can say this no better than I think Alan Cooper did in his book, The Inmates Running the Asylum. Uh, so in his book, The Inmates Running the Asylum, Alan Cooper describes us as the inmates. And he says, never let a developer design software because developers aren't human. They, um, (laughs) first of all, they're willing to tolerate a whole lot more pain than everybody else. They think it's cool and they can do it. My wife and I were kidding yesterday. Uh, We needed something. And she said, she was telling the the repair person who was asking me, oh, we were having our house adjusted because of her superstorm Sandy. And the, the adjuster was here and he said, do you have any pictures of the damage? And so I showed it on my computer. And he said, oh, let me just take a picture of that. So I took out his camera to take a picture of my screen. I said, well, wait, I can just, I can email it to you or I can Dropbox it to you or whatever. My wife said, watch, he's going to build something that takes 45 minutes what we could do in 15 seconds. Like it's going to take him 45 minutes to build something that allows us to do in 15 seconds what we can do now in 15 seconds. Sure. You know, and so there is this, this, uh, so, so developers are willing to tolerate that pain because we think the things that we can do are cool. Also, they have the mental models in their head. You are building software. You're building something in two dimensions to represent activity and space and time that happens in three dimensions. And so as a result of that, you've got to use, you've got to use metaphors. There is no such thing as a desktop and a computer. That's a metaphor. Right. Um, and so you have the metaphors in your head. You understand them very clearly. Your users don't. 
Well, you're presenting, I guess the biggest factor with this is, you know, we are developers and we are designing databases for our clients. Yes. So are you saying we need to put a totally different hat on when we're in designer mode? I am mode? saying we need, to, we need to put on a totally different hat and we need to respect the fact that we don't know, that we are not the users, that we have to have empathy for them and we have to do everything we can to walk in their shoes. And that means listening to them, watching what they do, but it also means usability testing. It means putting only as much effort into a design as you have certainty of the solution. And so when you get to your next phase of design and you say to the people, okay, now we're going to design you know, this system to track the inventory. So this system to track the inventory is going to infect these three people because they're the inventory inputters, whatever you call them. And so we're going to build a solution that has to do this, this, and this. When you get done designing your first round, the impulse of the FileMaker developer is always to bring it, and all developers actually, is always to bring it back like a cat presenting something they've killed to the owner. Say, here, look what I built you. Isn't this great? At which point you've put a lot of time and energy and polish into it. And they look at it and and they either say, yes, that's great because it is. Or they say, yes, it's great because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Or they're not sure. And you have, to, you have to recognize that you're going to fail. You're going to fail hard the first couple of times. And so you want to get to that failure as quickly as possible. And the best way you can do that is instead of presenting them and say, hey, look, at this is cool. Set them down and say, in three minutes, you told me you have to do this task. I'm going to show you an interface, and I'd like you to tell me you know, what you see there and what you think you can do. And then I'd like you to do this task that you told me that you need to do to achieve your goal. And, and I like think it, you, you've talked about that before of actually showing that interface, not in the database, but like on paper. Oh, absolutely. So I, I um, one of the things that we do in the, in the studio and I harp on a lot is this line that I got from Bill Buxton in his book, Sketching User Experiences. Um, and the line is only put as much certainty in the interface as uh, only put as much detail in the interface as you have certainty of the solution. And so he talks a lot about the fact that there's a difference between a sketch and a prototype. Even in FileMaker, some of your interfaces may still be at the sketch space, and some may be at the more polished prototype space. And so I start on paper. Um, I do a six-up template where you do six iterations of the design. Even though you think you know exactly what you're doing in the first time or the second time, you'll Mm -hmm. find if you spend three minutes and push yourself to do six iterations – the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth will be hard, and it will push you to discover something you hadn't considered before. Hmm. Then you you pick the best one of those, and you do a one-up. And so you do a sketch of that. And at that point, often, I'll do paper prototyping where I'll show the – you know, I'll use the paper as the screens and say, oh, you wanted to do this, and you lay down the screen, and then you lay down the next – a lot of times I do that in Balsamic or I do that in Keynote or OmniGraffle or Fireworks depending on what the application I'm designing for. Mm-hmm. Balsamic is a great tool to allow you to very quickly uh, mock up interfaces that you can string together as a paper prototype. And the nice thing about that is that if you step away from FileMaker, you will um, you will break out of your normal – so. What I'm trying for is this this blend of speed and efficiency on my side as a developer and designer, um, saving the money for the client so that we can have the time to design the cool stuff, uh, delivering quickly, but still getting to the best possible design I can to meet their needs in a way that goes beyond their initial expectations. Sure. and so the best way to do that is to do your failure early on paper and in sketches. Even in so I'll do a six up, I'll do a one up, and then What do you I'll mean do, by six up and one up? So six up is basically six iterations so, of the so same six, thing. So I have a piece of I have a grid that has six boxes on it that kind of look like storyboards for movies. Mm-hmm. And I'll do six thumbnail sketches very quickly using Sharpies. And the reason for that is you you can't you can't use a whole lot of detail there. You, you, you're using broad strokes. And so you're, you're capturing the essence of the idea. I use Sharpies because I like how they smell. <laughs> and then you, do, you pick the one or two and um, you do a one-up. So, you so just, you're, you're, you're drawing like where the buttons go, where the fields are, the different segments of the screen basically? 
Yeah, sort of. I mean, and and this 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 task is a is a is akin to um if you've ever gone to a figure drawing class, they will start every figure drawing class where you do um you know, 10 one-minute drawings and then a five-minute drawing and a 10-minute drawing. Hmm. And the reason for that is that it gets you warmed up. It gets you pushing beyond your first attempts uh, when you're drawing a model. And it it uh, it helps you progress quickly. And because you've got constraints, you can't spend too much time attached to the preciousness of your ideas. The goal at the beginning is if you think about uh, two uh, inverted, like a, if you put a, a a less than sign next to a greater than sign, so they're facing in, uh-huh. you want at the beginning to generate as many ideas as you can to fill that funnel as wide as you can. And so you want to do a lot of discovery very quickly. And then as you think you start to get to the right idea, then you funnel it back down and you start putting some more detail in that. But you only put as much detail as you as you need to to test it because invariably you failed somehow mm. and you want to find out you know did you overlook some requirement is this does this metaphor that you're using make perfect sense to you but not to your user um it, you know is the user uh, is your typical user um you know 20 something and able to use really small fonts or is your typical user 60 something and needs you, you want to find that stuff out and you want to find it out before you've put a lot of energy and detail um, into the design. Right. And yeah, most FileMaker developers have, you know, a little bit of connection to something they put on the, on the screen. I, can, I don't think I am as... Um, I've, I've worked hard to not be susceptible to that. I'm perfectly fine throwing away stuff that I've written. Yeah. But still, I'm, I, I know that I'm attached to it a little bit. <clears throat> so, Don, you've been... Um, as you said earlier, but doing this and, and applying these formal approaches for several years, how has it changed over that uh, over that time? What are you What are you focusing on more now that you didn't focus on um, early on? Ah, good question. So, one of the things that's happened for me, um, well, okay. So, first off, I should tell you that the the content that I'm teaching in the workshop, I'm drawing from a number of different sources. Um, the information on personas and scenarios and driving requirements it draws a lot on the work of Alan Cooper and King Goodwin uh, in his book, The Inmates Are uh, Inmates Are Running the Asylum. I bought that book when you recommended it. I haven't yet read and, it. And their their book about face and their book um, Design for the Digital Age. And then uh, the how do you get to a good solution part that that we really deal with in the second day of the, of the studio. Um, draws a lot on Bill Buxton's work and sketching user experiences mm-hmm. and the work of Adaptive Path and a, and a bunch of other people. Like, I'm, I'm stepping on the shoulder of giants. The thing that has really changed for me um, is really understanding much more and fleshing out the part of the process where, okay, you, you've done the discovery, you've done the research, you've, you've derived the requirements, you know what you're going to build. How then do you get from there to a specific solution that is represented in the computer, in in your interface or in your scripts? How do you get there? And that process has become much more uh, detailed for me and has more discrete steps than it used to. And and I will say, though, you asked me in, in one of your emails was – you know, does this process work as well for small projects as it does for big projects? And the answer is, every time I design anything now, it's become habitual. And so I start out the same way. I create a one-sentence problem statement that encapsulates in one sentence, you know, what is what is the form of the thing I'm going to build? Who is it for? In what scenario? And so this is even if a customer says, I need a new report or I need to add this Absolutely. functionality. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um you know, I'm I'm working with a client now. They're uh, they are a um, QuickBooks consulting firm and accounting consultancy, and they've hired me to help them build a system for their client, who's a architecture firm. And so yesterday we were um, building a an interface to track um, the status of a particular job. 
And so it was one interface with probably a handful of portals on it, you know, two, like, who, there's, who are the staff on the project, what are the phases, and what are the deliverables, and where are they on all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Still, I started out the same way. Design a uh, FileMaker interface for the project manager to check the status of a job, you know, uh, quickly, that kind of thing. So I, I want a very clear statement that tells me what am I designing and implicitly or sometimes explicitly what the constraints are. What are we not doing there? What's not going to be in that solution? And so I have a very tidy box that I can play within. Then I start drawing. You know, I do a series of sketches on paper and in balsamic um, that very quickly gets to a rough idea. And by quickly, I mean 10 minutes, 30 minutes, um, and then I, I show that to my client and I say, okay, here's a scenario. How would you, tell me how you would do the tasks that you need to do in the scenario using what's drawn here. And I let them tell me what they're doing. Um, oh, and, I, and I should, and I, and I see where I failed. I should say there's one step in between, which is once I have my, my one problem sentence statement, I storyboard the scenario. Like, Kind of like, have you seen storyboards in um, the movie directors make where they say, in this scene, first we're going to start with this wide shot, and then we're going to transition to the sure. straight shot, and he's looking this way. <clears throat> Do the same thing. You put yourself in the shoes of the person, and you storyboard at every step of this in order to, to complete their goal in this interface. What do they need to do? Well, the first step is they have to select the project that they're looking at, okay? And so you figure out, well, what is the action of the user? What is the underlying data at that point? Um, Is there any actions happening in the interface as a result? And I storyboard every step so I can imagine, you know, what, what the solution must do to meet the needs of the person in that situation if I'm successful. Mm-hmm. And then I design for each step in the storyboard. So I start sketching for every step in the storyboard. And, and then I look for how it all hangs together. And then I start, I take those storyboards and I make one uh, compelling interface. Well, I hope compelling. You're going to be a Gen- filmmaker when you're done with FileMaker, Gen- aren't you? Oh, God, I would love <laughs> to make film. If, it's if only I was, a one-letter change. You know, I my first my first career as a as a press photographer, as a photojournalist, and I did documentary, long term documentary stories. It was my favorite kind of thing to do. And I've always wanted to go to get a master's in film, master's of fine art in documentary mm. film. Uh, so yes, I would love that. We used to have our filmmaker user group meetings at the same place that they had filmmaker user group meeting, and it was <laughs> it was somewhat confusing to have that almost <laughs> identical word. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but anyway, I, I, so I storyboard every, every step along the f- process and then I start sketching and then I get, once I'm ready to go into FileMaker, I create as down and dirty and ugly of a, um, an interface as I can with just as much detail as I need to communicate what's going to happen there. So if there are buttons that I'm going to have to put, they're going to have a hell, uh, and have a lot of functionality behind them. I just put a custom dialogue that says this button is going to do this because mm-hmm. um, I want to fake it out. I want to quickly – so the the prototype in FileMaker at this point is still a sketch. It has very little detail in it because I'm not certain of the solution. But I want enough detail that I can sit my user down and do a very quick usability test to figure out where I've gone wrong. Hmm. It's interesting. This is so different than my usual approach. Like in my usual approach, when I'm sitting with a user, I'm thinking of like some other clients that I'm working on <clears throat> um, projects. What I'll do is I'll, I'll um, sit with them. I'll get one or two of the users who do the thing. And let's say we've got kind of an existing process and we're going to be building a new tab that looks up this new set of data that we just got access to. And we need to build a way to query it and to summarize it and to... Um, enter it and, you know, verify that it's right and to look at, you know, connect it to the other parts. So I'll, I'll sit down with them and without any of this formal stuff, I'll just use nothing but FileMaker. This is just to illustrate how different <laughs> the approach is. But really, I think it's the same kind of process. It's just um, 
it's looking at it just in FileMaker. So we'll, I'll, we'll talk through exactly what we need to do before we touch FileMaker. And then I'll mock it up in the database roughly. You know, put the quick portals on there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I've gotten, I've done this so long that I can actually program and write scripts in FileMaker and build layouts in FileMaker while customers are sitting there watching. Yeah. And I know sure. what to and not to do. You know, if I, I won't write a custom function with recursion with a customer watching. <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> but I will, if they say, oh, yeah, we need a, a function that does this, I will go up to briandunning.com, find a custom function, copy it, paste it in, and, and start using it if it's something that I think I can do um, in a minute or two. Sure. You know, um, and then I'll build the screen while they're watching it happen and saying, "Yeah, do you, what do you think? Should this field go over here? You know, should should we put this set of this group of fields to the right or left? How do we group these six things? Um, you know, they came this way, but I really think that they might not be in the right order. What's the most important one? And then we put them in the order that they think is the right one. And so they're watching it happen in every stage of the process. They're directing. They're building it. I'm just the vessel, you know, um, and they, I get a huge amount of buy-in from that. So the other objectives that you are after is getting buy-in, so that they really feel like it's theirs and that I, you're solving their issue. Absolutely. I want to. I want to. I want to just probe a little bit into what you just said, though, because I I think that you're not just letting them um, tell you where everything is going. You are using 20 years of of smarts of understanding, of expertise to help guide them. Because I have tremendous respect for the people that use my software and I have complete awareness that I don't want to get trapped into my own hubris. Right. Well, you know, for better or for worse, I am using 20 years of experience to do that. Yes. But I also am very cognizant of the the fact that, like uh, Henry Ford said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. True. So, so they, they don't always know. Um, there are some techniques you can use to help them figure it out. And it sounds like you're, you're guiding them. You're doing, you know, you're doing an interview with them. And that's, you know, that's a really powerful thing. You can also do things like card sort tests. You know, if you're not sure where something's going to, should go, make a list of all of the, you know, all of the fields and say, you know, on these index cards, you know, sort the three most important things over to the side for me. Um, group these things together for me. How, which which of these things are are like that need to be together? Yeah, I guess that f- for me it feels like that would kind of slow down the process, and that just looking at it and closing your eyes and changing it, and if it's you know, but yeah, it does mean that sometimes I'm going to get it that way, and it's not going to be in the optimal order, and it's never going to be because they're never going to come to me a year later and say I want to switch these the order of the fields on this layout. Well, but what you could do is you have one person from the group working with you or two people from the group, but then have mm-hmm. sit down somebody who Wasn't also there. will be doing it yeah. who needs it, and do a three-minute usability test. And you will find out so quickly what made sense to you may not make sense to everybody else. Yep. That's a, that I, is a huge I, step that I don't do enough of. It's one of my favorite parts of the workshop is we spend the second day um, designing an interface for an actual customer solution in in the workshop and everybody's broken up into teams and each team is doing a different scenario and then about three o'clock we sit down and we talk about usability testing and we start testing each other's solutions and i just i just love it there was a thing i guess two years ago alexi folger uh from filemaker was in the workshop and she had built a solution um and she had given it to another team and they started and her mouth kind of fell open like, I, I, why are you going that way? It's clear you got to go this. I like, and she was being totally appropriate. But it was, it was the funniest thing when we reviewed what had happened. That it was completely different from what she expected, um, and uh, it was very funny, you know. And that kind of thing happens all the time, where you think you know how everybody else is going to want it to be, sure, and you don't. If you can. It doesn't have to cost any money. You could do a, a two-minute, three-minute usability test and get great feedback. I did a, 
I'll tell tell you my favorite crash and burn usability test story. (laughs) Okay. We have this (laughs) webinar that uh, is a really large one where we, this main application that I do and 50 people are on the call from all over the state once a month looking at all the changes and a new, uh, uh, when, when we rolled out this new aspect of the software, we put a user who's not a super competent user, never speaks in public and hadn't really used the application. And for some reason we asked them to drive and demonstrate how to use the software, this complex thing that had been involving over a couple of years, and demonstrate it for everyone. They couldn't do anything. I mean, they couldn't do the most basic thing. We're like saying, no, click in the top right, the search bar, just click in there and type Jones. And they're like, over here? Like, it was so painful it's painful right <laughs> have you ever seen the uh the the cartoon that heather winkle um shared uh i think she shared it at her devcon i saw it on facebook um and i forget uh, it's called the scroll wheel have you ever seen that it rings a bell there's one so, really funny one of someone <clears throat> um sort of narrating the scroll wheel i'll have to look that so, one up so this is this is uh so you have this cartoon character uh, who's sitting at a computer and is looking at an interface, and you have another character that's standing over their shoulder watching, clearly doing a usability test. And you see the thought bubbles of the person watching the usability test who's keeping the straight face, but it's like, no, don't go there. Don't go there. Yep. Don't go there. Press that. Why don't you just click the button? And you see the, yeah. the usability tester getting more and more angry, and then another thought bubble pops up from inside the first thought bubble that says angry, raging monster that <laughs> goes back through the thought bubbles and starts choking the, uh, the person who's using the interface mm-hmm. and then disappears, and then you see just the, the, the poker face again. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that exterior <laughs> calm of just letting it happen and taking notes. and um, Yeah, so the fail that we did in this particular one was – you don't put the person on a public stage. That that made it a hundred times worse. The same user is excellent and they're amazingly good using the software in their own cube in their own environment. But um, wow, well, put them in, put uh, them in a, with a microphone in a room full of people with fifty people on the phone. Forget it. <laughs> I, I'll give you a fail of mine. I had I guess this was about a year and a half ago. Uh, I had built a solution two years ago that had been deployed for six months, and I was like really proud of the solution, and I thought it was great. And everybody loved it. It was going to be my portfolio. And, and I had made an assumption about um, how the flagging behavior in the list would work and that it would be just very common because it was using a common uh, social pattern that people knew. Mm-hmm. And then I talked to somebody uh, about six months later, and he said, oh, yeah, I don't understand how that works. So I had the my main contact there set up a usability test where we got three people from the office on a go-to-meeting call with me in 10 minutes, and I saw right away that none of them were thinking about it the way I was thinking about it. And I got the feedback about what how they expected it to work, and I was able to change it and have it actually work the way ne- they needed it. And I had made this assumption, and it was wrong. And, you know... I'm really glad they gave me that feedback that we were able to then do a usability test. But, I, God, I wish I'd done that ahead of time. Sure. And so now, as a result of that failure, I try to, to do it. You asked me what's changed. Well, one of the things that's changed is I st- have stopped making assumptions. I recognize that I'm going to fail, and I try to fail as early as I can. Um, and what's the phrase, fail early and loudly? Fail, fail. well, that yes, that comes from one of my other presentations, uh, Small Things Loosely Joined. Yes. It comes from Unix, fail loudly and as, um, if you're going to fail, fail early and as loudly as possible. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's the same thing here. I mean, it's, it's uh, you're going to fail. You think, you know, the, you know, I, from my DEF CON presentation a couple years ago, I, I had this, this concept where you think you're going to go from one point to another point is a straight line. But really, it's like walking through one of those hedgerow mazes in the English countryside, and you can't see what's around the corner. You can't see where you're going, and you just keep walking into dead ends, and you have sure. to double back and mm-hmm. go another path and another path. And I've accepted that, and I've built that into mm-hmm. the design studio to help other people accept that. I hope um, I could, that's if I was going to change one thing, I would want to be better at that. So I appreciate that inspiration. <laughs> 
So um, looking outside the FileMaker world and inside the FileMaker world, what are some of your favorite examples of, of design, both, both good and bad? Like, for example, Heather sometimes brings this, this really beautifully designed can opener as an example of, of really oh, good yeah. design. Oh, so, oh, so you're talking about OXO, good grips. Mm-hmm. And so OXO is a company that's built on um, – it's built on an awareness of goal of user goals. They really think about the the goals that the users have when they're when they're using the product. The best example that Oxo makes is their measuring cups. Have you ever seen the Oxo Good Grips measuring cups? Yep. So most measuring cups, you have to get your eye down to the level of the What just happened? Are you still there, Matt? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I heard. Press any key. Press any key to continue this conference. Um, we're not on a Skype conference. So there may be something else going on. Did you also start go to meeting? No. Okay, I am sorry. I don't know why it's doing that, but huh? Um, check QuickTime. Is QuickTime still recording? QuickTime is still recording. Yes. Okay. All right. So I won't worry about it. Okay. Um. What was I saying? You were talking about the OXO measuring cup and how oh, you have yeah. to so, yeah, look so, down on it versus so hold it the, at the eye level. With the yeah. most measuring cups, you have to get your eye down to the level of the water. The OXO measuring cup, they built the interior of the cup at an angle. So the water f- and, the, and the markings are on the inside of the cup. So you can stand above it and fill the water and see immediately how much water or how much liquid is in the measuring cup. It's brilliant. That is a brilliant idea. So, oh, yeah. So... Um, you gotta Oxo. use brilliant ideas in FileMaker sparingly, though, because <laughs> you can't be too jarring. Well, no, it's not about being jarring. It's it's um, it's form following function. Mm-hmm. It's it's designing with the goals of the user in mind. It's um, having a very clear, and sometimes that means that there is no interface. You know, sure. some of the best interfaces are where there are none. Google. One search bar with an incredible amount of power in whatever you type. Yes. They, there is no interface. All the incredible work is done in, in, in figuring out what you type in, comparing that to everything you've searched for before. I've thought deeply about how to, how to get that kind of quality. Um, and you've done get, some really, really good results. great stuff in yeah. that space. Yeah. I mean, your quick search is is fantastic there, where you, you know, you type the one thing and you get the data from all of the various tables and you see it aggregated. That solves their goal. Their goal is to find the information in the system. Yeah, there's miles to go yet on that. I mean, and uh, I one of the um, I submitted uh, sessions for DevCon. I haven't heard back yet. I think they're supposed to let people oh, know. I'm really glad soon. to hear you say that because I submitted sessions also and I haven't heard back yet. And I thought yeah. that announced date was two days ago. Uh, yeah, I think they were supposed to, so they must just be taking a little more time. So, um, yeah, I hope we I hope we both get selected. That'd be great to be co speakers again. Yeah. Um, so, are there examples of design like widgets that have been really good and also really bad in FileMaker? Um, you know, for example, a really simple one would be following things from other applications like sorting uh, if you're in a list view to make it work kind of like it is in in table view where you can sort columns by clicking on the header and uh, then it sorts the column and it visually shows you that that's the column that's sorted on so even if you go away from the list and come back you can see what the sort is so you have nailed one of the biggest problems facing filemaker developers particularly with the move into mobile into go mm-hmm because you hit something called the uncanny valley where something functions 90% of the way of the original functioned, but not 100%. Mm-hmm. And so it feels just kind of off. So, for example, if you implement a, uh, you know, if you're building a Go app and you want to try to faithfully recreate the, um, the, the Go metaphors where mm-hmm. you've got a navigation stack and you've got a, a right chevron arrow that swipes to reveal the navigation stack the detail of whatever you're on you know you've got a you try to mimic that in filemaker but you don't have the anim- animation mm-hmm. and so it just looks close but not exactly right even mm-hmm. if you're using exactly the same spacing and fonts and um 
and styles and rip off the icons. Like, it just doesn't look exactly right. Sure. So one of the biggest problems facing us is how to be true to the medium that we have, you know, to the abilities and limitations of the canvas that were presented, but still also being aware of and drawing in the socially accepted metaphors um, from all the software products that people are used to using. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible struggle. Yeah. Because you want the sexy, you know, it, you want it to look like, you want it to look like the Mac apps and the, and the, and the Windows apps and the, um, you want it to look like the apps of the platform you're, they're using. Sure. You know, I, I hold as a really amazing, I hold as an app, uh, as, very high esteem, which is iTunes. And a lot of people don't agree with me, but I think it's actually possibly the most used app um, across platform that exists right now. That is that's changing quickly and can be used as a as sort of as a pinnacle of design. I don't know. That may be overstating it, but like if you take a look at Windows, no one's really saying let's copy the look and feel of Word. Um. No, that's true. You want to see something that you copy the look and feel of? Have you ever seen the um, uh, the IA writer? I think is what it's called. Right, but I'm talking about like in the terms of numbers of millions of used. Right, if you take a look at the number of iTunes accounts of I don't know how many hundreds of millions it is, those are all iTunes users. They all have iTunes on their Mac or PC because that's how they connect to their iPhone or iPad. And so most everyone who has an iPhone, iPad also has a computer, and they're running iTunes. And that's how they synchronize their songs and their apps and stuff like that. Not everyone, because now you don't have to have it. But as a computer app, which then informs the design of FileMaker apps, how what changed in this huge reboot version of iTunes that came out recently? Because they well, totally redid the interface. They totally redid the interface. And, and I'm not totally sure I'm in love with the new interface. The, the, the problem that I'm struggling with with iTunes is they're doing an awful lot and each of the the content groups that they're using has a different structure and model and so mm-hmm. they have this selector that allows you to switch between the various content groups the 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 music in your library the uh the videos that you have the podcasts sure. mm-hmm. um and each one when you get to one of those different content groups they each have their own structure underneath um so it's interesting because what's happening in the mobile space, for example, is they've separated a bunch of those functions on the iPhone. And each one... That's true. There's a separate it, video app. There's a, a separate, separate video iTunes app, app. Yeah. And there's a separate store app. Mm-hmm. And each of those respects the fact that when they're, the person is in the headspace that they're in using that app, they have a different goal and a different need. And the application has to do a whole lot less. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the result... It's it's much much clearer. Um, True, but but it would be weird on the desktop to have a separate app for iTunes Store than for iTunes Music Library. This is true. However, but maybe that's just because the it's selector always been that, way. that they're using to switch between those major content groups is just a drop down on the right side, and I feel like if yep. they're going to be switching between those major content groups, really it should be much more of a top-level navigation that signifies that you are um, navigating globally between these various Mm -hmm. different mental spaces. And the other thing I think about design on this situation is because so many millions of people use iTunes, it kind of doesn't matter whether we like it or not. It is the standard. It is a standard. (laughs) It's true. And and it, it introduces all these ideas. Another one that I really like is if you go to your master library, um, and you just and your whole screen is just all your songs. Yeah. If you click and drag on a song just to nowhere, over on the side appears a list of all your playlists because it figures, oh, you're probably going to add this song to one of your playlists right now, aren't you? And then you can just drag it onto the playlist that appears from nowhere. And when you drag and drop it, it just that then that thing goes away. Ah, see, no, that I agree with. Um, I I really like that, and I like when you click on an album, all of the tracks drop down. Both of those are really nice examples of progressive disclosure where they're hiding from the interface the things that are not part of your primary scenario when you're first interacting with the interface. But then when you click on a song, 
they're thinking about what your goals might be at that time. And so they're presenting additional information. Right. But unlike the example of your client where you said, you know, they've got this giant monitor and they're filling every inch of space. When you put all of this stuff on the screen at once, it competes for the user's attention. People have but one locus of attention. Mm-hmm. They can only attend to one thing at a time. And if you're competing with it and you're breaking their attention constantly, it slows them down. If you can pull off all of the things that they don't need to do right now and put them somewhere that you can disclose them when the user needs them, then you've, you've created real power. You've, you've made their workflow more efficient. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking a good long time, covering some very interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we should probably wrap it up. Is there <laughs> is, is there parting shots? I think we've got a few. I, I think if there was one big theme, I would say know that you're going to be wrong, and embrace it, and you know, look to make things better for your users by doing usability testing. That'd be one big theme, and I would say we we agree yeah, on absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Be humble. Be humble. Recognize your limitations. Mm -hmm. What else? What else? Play. Sketch. I mean, this should be this should be fun. And oh god, I love doing these studios. It's so much fun getting everybody together Mm. and getting them up on the walls, like sketching and whatnot. Play, please. So you can read more about the design studio by going to fmcraft.com. And uh, the pricing also, I think, is really reasonable. For three days of intense stuff, it's, it's really reasonable if you uh, meet the early registration deadline. And I think we're still before the early registration deadlines for both of them, right? Yes. Yes, the early registration deadline on the, uh, the Oakland one was going to run out today. But I think since we are talking now, I'll just extend that for a week or so so that your, user, your listeners will have a chance to, uh, to take advantage of that if they want to. Well, Don, thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a great conversation and a lot of fun. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I think the thing I like the most is you challenge my beliefs and you challenge my processes. And that always, for all of us, makes us better developers. Well, thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that. And I, I, I feel the same way. When I, when I attend your DevCon presentations and when I hear you, you always push me to think about things that I hadn't. And I love that. Yeah, it's a good thing. Well, thanks for saying that. Yeah. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Have a nice day.